At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So, yeah. And that's the thing about, like, cleaning up the oceans is, is that we're, <clears throat> we're seeing more and better methods of being able to do that. Yeah. Solar-powered, completely autonomous ways of cleaning it up. Uh, you really you have two issues at hand is, is that number one you know a lot of the a lot of the heating that you have going on is because you've got you know these great garbage patches that are essentially just collecting what starts here changes the world well i've got to admit i kind of like it what starts here changes the world because the world. that is because how it works is how the it average works. american will meet 10 thousand people in their lifetime problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. conscience but if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, just 10 people. what your rights are your rights are and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people and another 10 this is the beginning it is not the finale and that's why we're here and that's why we rally and you can change the entire population of the world eight billion people if you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people change their lives forever forever we've got to be that something that arnold ton the historian refers to as a creative minority you're wrong then others will show then up. Others will also, show what up. about no children dying? That's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. Liberation. It's an internal. It's an internal. Of speaking the of truth. Speaking the truth. But their children were saved, and their children's children. children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Adam, guess what? Yes. We're recording. Ryan, Ryan, guess what? (laughs) What? We are in effect. We're in effect. (laughs) So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? After you change it? Welcome. Welcome. To public, to public access, access. all right hey welcome back <laughs> welcome back to public access america we are um facing daylight savings time for all of uh, all of you i just have a like my iphone just told me what time it was i didn't even realize there was daylight savings well <clears throat> i mean i'm used to the dog waking me up so like <laughs> the dog normally wakes me up and you know, it's like, okay, well, let's get going, because she, she doesn't sleep in all that much. We had a long day yesterday, and she <laughs> went to bed late, so she didn't, she, you know, she woke up at what would have been about 10 after 8. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll get up, and I'll get moving, and I'm like, okay, let's take a look here. Notification, notification, notification. Hey, you all right there, bro? <laughs> what? Ah, <laughs> oh, crap. Fair enough. I woke up at eight o'clock too, but I went to bed at nine o'clock. 
that was so weird. I just gave up on the weekend. I was like, you know what? Screw this. I can fall asleep on the couch or I can go to bed. <laughs> hey, that's fair. You know, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the glory of the weekend though. Is, is that, you know, when you get older, it's like, you know, you eventually get tired of going out and partying all the time. So it's like, yeah. all right, let's, uh, let's sit in and watch a movie. Oh, I'd... nope. Apparently we're not going to watch the movie. We're going to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I I watched uh, Twin Towers. I've been doing the, oh my God, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ah, uh, yes. But see, I didn't know, like, what I didn't know. So I watched Lord of the Rings. I watched the first one, Fellowship of the Rings. And then I watched the third one. And I was like, I hate this. But then I was like, hey, The Hobbit. So I watched The Hobbit all the way through. And I was like, I hate this. But then we were talking about Lord of the Rings, and I was like, well, I've already seen The Hobbit. Maybe The Lord of the Rings will make sense. So I watched Fellowship of the Rings, and I was like, for, what, nine hours, just saying, like, stop playing with the ring. It just annoyed mm -hmm. me, you know? And then I was like, I went to watch the third one, like, Return of the Kings, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. so I was like, I went back, and I was like, Twin Towers, all right. So, uh, the two towers, yes. Right, so I, I watched that, and I was like, all right, I think I can get into this, you know what I mean? It, it's mm -hmm. not like this fairy tale, like, fake large mushrooms and hobbits sort of thing. It's real, real action, you know? I was like, all mm -hmm. right, I can get into this, so. <laughs> I happen to own the extended edition Blu-ray. <laughs> I was like, I went to go find, I went to go look up Return of the Kings, and I was like, wait a minute, there's an extended version. Fuck it, yes, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> the extended, dude, the extended, the the extended versions make, uh, when the, so when the movies came out and they came out in their original length, people were kind of like, there's so much missing. All right. Spoiler, I haven't seen Return of the Kings yet. So, uh, I definitely recommend doing the extended editions. Nice. And and start from the beginning. Fellowship, then yep. the the Two Towers, That's then where I'm at. the Return of the King. And it is 13 hours of pure joy. It's, I'll say that, like, I don't believe in a certain fantasy, like, that that borders on fairy tale. I just don't get into that, but I love the sub, the sub stories on mm -hmm. what it, what it means. I always look at those movies as perspectives on everything from art to politics. And so mm -hmm. to me, I love the characters, right? I, mm -hmm. I like, I like everything about it. I like Frodo. I'm a big Frodo guy. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. he, he isn't sitting there looking at looking at the ring every five seconds. And that's what detracted me from the whole first movie was just the problems always came when he looked at that ring. And then all of mm -hmm. a sudden the next scene was going to be loud and fucking like, like scary. So, I mean, you have to think about the ring in terms of like uh, power. You right. know, if you think about it as a metaphor for power in the real world, mm -hmm. you know, people are constantly looking at their power and they, they're constantly making sure that they, that it still looks exactly the same and that it's still, you know, well within what they think is well within their control. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you, when you look at, watch the movie from it, uh, from that perspective, you're like, oh, wow, this is actually uh, pretty heavy when you think about it. Right. Well, so. when you realize that the ring contains, 
like another realm right Mm -hmm. like he can get stabbed he can die in that realm when he puts the ring on and everything evil can see him you know what Mm -hmm. i mean but when he takes it off he's still the same person but he has a facade of good you know what i mean right so definitely so worth the watch i i happen to love that series a lot um which is why i had uh my mom get it for me uh with the blu-ray extended edition because it's so good yeah i'm a big gandalf fan you know what i mean i I like that guy (laughs) oh it's 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 amazing and honestly you can watch it you know once a year twice a year and still take away something new from it yeah i'm trying to get into movies and more cinematic movies that i i wouldn't know you know Denton, mm-hmm. Co- Denton County Collective were getting a group together to watch like movies and they did this French movie and on Annalie and mm-hmm. they were like are you going to be able to handle subtitles and I was <clears> like well yeah because I'm right here by my computer and while I dipped in and would read things the, I understood the whole plot but mm-hmm. it was the subplots and the subtleties that I was missing because that's what I was reading and so I, yeah, it's it's a pretty good movie. You know what I mean? I really, oh yeah, I really came away liking it. But I was always like the, the what about Eve or mm-hmm. you know, uh, Maltese Falcon, Chinatown. Like I don't go mm-hmm. into seventies for my movies. I go way back into black and white. You know what? Mm. What happened to Baby Jane will always be one of my favorite movies of all time. Because you think to yourself, not only is this so weird because it's historic. But everything in it is historic and weird. Like mm-hmm. the, the stairs, the wood they make, the, the things they drink, the way they get around, dentistry. It's all just so weird that oh, yeah. it's, another, <clears throat> it's another world to me in and of itself. You know, a fedora? I, really? Oh, like yeah. a guy sitting on his couch like in a suit with a fedora? <laughs> right. Or, you know, my personal favorite, some of my personal favorites are the old German films, the really old black and whites like uh, um, Nosferatu and Ooh, uh, yeah. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There you go. I love, like, like when you look at those movies and you realize that those are coming out of, you know, World War One, where Ooh. you have soldiers that experience shell shock, like the way in which some of those movies, like if you think about them from the terms of somebody who's suffered a traumatic event, oh, wow. and they're trying to express what the hell has happened around them, oh, those movies just take on something else. Well, it's it's really, those. it's really crazy. Uh, I studied those films when I was in uh, getting my undergrad in Germany. Wow. When I <clears> when, <throat> when I was a kid, I got this book. And it was the big book of movie monsters. Mm-hmm. And I was, it was Boris Karloff as the mummy and, you know, Dracula. And it was. Uh, Bella Lugosi. Yeah. And it was all of those creature of the, from the Black Lagoon. And yep. I wanted to watch every single one of those. And so Son of Sven helped me with like the blob, the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and it's it's funny to look back and see, you know, what, what horror looked like in those days. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, like, even looking back, Nosferatu is like a, an incredibly creepy creature, even by today's standard. Yes. 
which is why I always I keep hoping that there will be a remake of Nosferatu in a more modern realm. Do you want? I would it? Love to do you want that? I would love. I wouldn't say a remake so much as a, I would love to see a modern take on Nosferatu. Okay. Like the classic, the classic Nosferatu is going to. He that that movie is going to be one of those things where you saw what horror could become. I like, like that. you know, it kind of like it, it's kind of like you know being a metalhead and looking at Black Sabbath and going, "Wow, if you only knew how many different branches of metal would come out of Black Sabbath." Totally. Like you had no clue just what that what one what one band or what one movie would do to an entire genre of film, yeah. an entire genre of music. Man, I I agree and. I don't know. I think of what Black Sabbath came out of, and that was like Cream and uh, the Yardbirds and Iron Butterfly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that at the time was like metal, right? <laughs> that all of a sudden, and then they... all of a sudden you had you had Black Sabbath, and it was right. just like everybody was like, "What in the hell?" Yeah, and people were like, "Well, it's either the Beatles, the Stones, or the Who." But you mm-hmm. forget that Black Sabbath was coming out right at that time. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Oh, man. Yeah, Black Sabbath really changed the game in a lot of ways. You know, in, in when you look at what guitar work would become, being mm-hmm. the guitar nerd that I am, you know, you have, you have the Black Sabbath-inspired metal, yeah. and then you have Jimi Hendrix's guitar work. Jimi Hendrix showed us, like, you could get crazy and experimental with guitar yeah and then that leads you into eddie van halen Mm. but i want to ask about Jimi hendrix do you think that i mean he didn't need it but do you don't you think that he needed a singer like i would have loved to see him and eric clapton and like janice joplin just create one of those groups (laughs) and play so that i could have heard like all of them as like so, so you know that Jimi Hendrix actually played guitar for Clapton, right? Oh, did he? Yeah, that's cool. He uh, he played uh, he played like a gig or two for Clapton, and apparently at one point Clapton came off the stage was like chain smoking furiously, you know, because he's like, <laughs> you told me the kid could play, but you never told me that he could play like that. Like right. he was just like blown away and like upstaged by Jimi Hendrix. Right, and when you think of his national anthem all the way to uh, the Watchtower, you think mm-hmm. to yourself, that's a full musician. But I got to say, in all honesty, I'm not a big fan of his vocals, you know what I mean? And, you know, I think you have to you have to look at it from, uh, you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't look at it from like a, bl- uh, a rock standpoint, look at it more from like a blues standpoint, yeah. which is why like... Like, you can see that Stevie Ray Vaughan is like another incarnation of Jimi Hendrix in, in that, way, you know, yeah. it, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy's vocals may not have been like by today's standards or even like 20 years ago standards mm-hmm. or 30 years ago standards may not have been the great vocals that you had come to think of. But right. of the era, it was absolutely iconic, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Jim Morrison was right along those times, too. And right, so... right. And then, of course, Bob Dylan you had in those times, too. God, God. that guy's voice. He he hated – I hated him through the 70s, through the 80s, and then all of a sudden the traveling Wilburys, and I was like, Dylan, huh? (laughs) And I went back, and I was like, I love this. Like, 
he's so different and unique from anything you hear nowadays. And I saw him in concert, you know, I mm-hmm. was like, I, I like this guy. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's amazing. crazy. I mean, I was more of a fan of his son, Jacob Dylan with the wallflowers, but oh yeah, one hat. But yep. I mean, <laughs> kind of a bummer. They were, you know, a one hit wonder band, but you know, they were, they were, that album was, I would say, packed full of like really good songs i agree and i think what they were forced into was the production mentality of the time i think if well, the Wilburys came out or sorry if uh, <laughs> jacob had come out with that band now with some more freedom to express himself it would have been a different band i what most people don't realize about the 90s in general <clears throat> like the 90s was a weird time in music because if you think about it, you know, the 70s, you know, the 60s, you had a lot of the the wartime protest music. Right. You had, uh, you know, you had the, the poppier side of music and it just, you know, I mean, there were, granted there were a bunch of other genres, but it was mm-hmm. very cookie cutter. You, you could, the only yeah. thing that wasn't cookie cutter about the 60s was, it's just that whole psychedelic protest uh, war protest music group because you had a lot going on around it but it was it was very much similar in a way yeah you move I, into the well, 70s they homogenized that by making the partridge family and stupid stuff like that right. to to dismiss the hippie as you know right what the, what the <clears throat> rules were and the 70s you, is just a continuation without the protest you know right you you've got disco you've got <laughs> uh You've got, uh, let's see here, you know, what we would come to know as the classic rock and roll standard. Mm-hmm. And, you know. But that's what uh, amazes me. Like, Journey is classic rock, and so mm-hmm. is uh, Foreigner. But those two would never have gone together in the 70s. Uh, it was like. And you think Boston you know, was always the one that. Boston was way ahead of their time. And yes. Like, that band oh, right yeah. there. Like, even. 10 20 years later is still ahead of their time they were so good oh my god yeah you you know punk rock threw threw a wrench in things at the end of the 70s to kind of you know spur the the death of disco and then you move right into the hair metal scene you move into the very you got some very dark metal in there slayer and venom and you know that's where you start to see you know some of that you know, mm-hmm. but in terms of pop music, though, it's very much you know oh, bubblegum, Madonna. It's it's so it's it's very predictable. It's... That's that's when they began shoving unique <clears throat> music into the grinder to make it come out sounding the right. same. Right. You know? Then you get to the '90s, and you know, but wait, with there, Nirvana. Sorry, there was Duran Duran, and there was like some like great Spandau Ballet and some great bands. Oh but, yeah, but they were pushed into this like you have to wear this and be this. And, exactly, yeah. you know. So, but it, so in a lot of ways, it was still cookie cutter. But then you get mm-hmm. to the '90s with yeah. the grunge era, just kind of destroying all of that. <laughs> and then out of that pop music just takes this weird and wild left turn of yeah. of all sorts of different types of music you get anywhere from toad the wet sprocket and the butthole surfers yeah. to you know uh lisa loeb and paula cole and oh uh, Wumba and bare naked ladies <laughs> and the macarena and i mean it was i mean in terms of what yeah. was popular i mean it was 
it was all over the place. And I can only imagine that yeah. record execs at the time were like, what the fuck are we going to do? Because this, this is crazy. It's all yeah. over the place. You can't you, predict what's next. Remember, oh. Like, like you know, you, you've had all of these radio safe songs for so long, and then you get mm. Alanis Morissette and uh, uh, Meredith Brooks singing I'm a Bitch. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Oh no my doubt, God. Fiona Apple. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a wild time for music in the 90s. Like, Especially women, by the way. I right. loved I loved that because to me, if a woman makes a whole CD to telling me what I shouldn't do as a man, yeah, I'm on that. I'm taking notes there. You know? It was it was <laughs> such a crazy time, and yeah. you know you could tell that everybody's like trying to like figure out, oh my god, what's going to be the next thing? What's going to be the next thing? And yeah. and really, then all of a sudden, you get the the girl groups and the boy bands, and that's when it goes back to cookie cutter for a while. Well, because everybody that grew up in the 90s loving that music was suddenly making the music and being discovered like uh mm-hmm. christina applegate and britney spears justin timberlake you know the whole disney crew was found and then grew up in cookie cutter and they knew it by heart they know what that is yep so so you get so you get that change towards mm-hmm. the cookie cutter but you still had these crazy standout elements. I mean, the rise of pop punk being part of the mainstream. Oh music my god, I love pop punk. I love it. You know, <laughs> it was that pop punk was that weird balance between the the you know the sugar the sugar the bubblegum pop music that was oh, there yeah. at the time, and then of course you get you know the that neat little rap rock bubble that was there for like all of five years uh, limp biscuit uh, corn yeah. and limp biscuit and who's the other uh, uh, oh, lincoln park right lincoln park started out of that <laughs> yeah. you, you, it was it was just a weird time but then after you got the the super groups then you start to see the return more towards uh you know your standard cookie cutter pop and rock and yeah and through, but, through through all of that, what was forcing the changes that were being forced was rap. Mm-hmm. Was was the rap was rap becoming taking more seriously until finally, they got a hold of rap and shoved it into the cookie cutter machine, and it mm-hmm. all came out sounding like T Pain. And T Pain lives in Tallahassee, and I'd love to talk to him about the way he destroyed rap music. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and that's it's, it's the craziest. That's the craziest part about all of this is is that, yeah. like, what you saw happen in the '90s in terms of like what you you know what music became during mm-hmm. that time period was just wild. Yeah, you know, even even in the country realm, like things got turned upside down with Shania Twain, Hmm. you know, it was, it was like a revolt of the artists, you know, you just had something so different come out. You had so many things cross over. It was just absolutely crazy. And then all of a sudden it's like the record companies finally were able to make that amalgamation happen and bring everything back together and, and make it much more predictable. And then then... you reach the current era of, these kids with fucking laptops making their own music. <laughs> you got Billie Eilish who, who literally it's just her and her brother making music and Fuck they just yeah. like turned it all upside down. Dude, I, I am obsessed with Billie Eilish right now. Every time I get out of the shower, I have to put a Billie Eilish song on. I don't know why, but it's just the production is just really incredible to me. 
I just love the fact that you you now have a group of an era of people that literally can make music on their laptop, yeah. record it in their bedrooms and put it out and you know have a number one hit, yeah. or have it go viral on YouTube and and Twitter and TikTok and all of that. Yep. Like there's songs that I'm finding from videos and I'm like, what is that? Who the hell is this? You know, yeah. it's. It, it is uh, as someone who has written music and played shows and, mm-hmm. and gone on tour. It's it's honestly awesome, like to yeah. see this generation have the kind of freedom that they do to make music and put it out there. Yeah, I because love, you had so gla- much glass animals. By the way, Girl mm. Pool. These are two bands that you never would have gotten in any other time. So go check them out. Cause yeah, I, I just. I really love it. Twenty One Pilots, the way the freedom of music right now. Uh, X Ambassador. These are Spirit bands, Box. Spans that. Yeah. Spirit Box. Like these guys are literally recording their stuff at home, mm-hmm. and and doing their own thing. And from freaking British Columbia, Canada, and it's just absolutely crazy and absolutely wild because, you know, what would have taken most of us a ton of time. I mean, sure, you know the the you know, Courtney and Mike, uh, who were in another kind of metalish, but you know, a, a metalcore band, they've got, they've got a little bit of a name to them, but any, in any other realm, you know, other than the current era, mm-hmm. what you would be up against is you would still have to find a way to make a demo, get it into the hands of, you know, somebody yeah. find a small independent studio that you could spend some time on yes. and, and record. And then, you know, you would just, go crazy touring because you you know you didn't have the youtube era of people sharing music and right? all of that so to me it's just absolutely exciting because it has changed the game you know any of these mm-hmm. kids could literally record their own music post it on itunes and google and have people buy their music and instead of instead of having a record exec or or a record label absolutely control the way in which they're able to record and produce and mix and release their music it's it's absolutely refreshing knowing that for this generation of artists you don't have the same reins that you know even i had just 10 years ago which is why you know like even i'm like trying to figure out it's like how do i get this to work for myself how do i how do i start getting my music you know, recorded and start doing that. And, you know, speaking with a dog because, you know, he's been working on some of his own stuff and trying to learn the trade as well. It's absolutely exciting. All of this, all of this newfound freedom within music recording is something that's absolutely spectacular. Uh, I mean, the, the libertarian in me loves the fact that, you know, you don't have these select groups controlling the flow of music anymore. It's literally, do you have a laptop and an internet connection? Let's go. It's exactly it. I love that. So oh. are you ready for a question? Let's do it. <clears throat> All right. So the first question is actually came via email. And it Ooh. is, why is it when Democrats are in, in power, gas is more expensive? Aha. Uh-huh. That's an easy one to answer. I know. That's actually a fairly easy one to answer. And what most people, what most people don't think about is, is that um, 
when when republicans are in power they tend to opt for more leasing of federal lands and uh, allowing oil and gas to be produced uh, from federal lands uh, when Democrats are in power, they typically uh, restrict that, which is what you saw move towards with Biden almost right off the bat. I mean, granted, the Republicans were trying to, like, you know, approve and force a bunch of oil and gla- uh, gas leases right at the end of the previous mm-hmm. uh, uh, dictator's term. No. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, the the issue at hand, though, is is regulation. Republicans favor less regulation and less control so they tend to lease more that means that you know if you have more supply that means that you're going to have more gas that you know cheaper gas that is produced whereas when the republicans um when the democrats get into office they tend to put more restrictions on on that federal leasing and so that ends up pushing the price of gas up okay i would say Globally, OPEC is a group of countries that um, sell their oil, and oil wasn't in real high demand with COVID, and it was peaceful times, and so there wasn't a lot of need for the oil as was before, especially with us creating so much domestic oil, which Mm -hmm. actually drove it into negatives for a Mm -hmm. while, and now we come back with everything you're doing, COVID is relenting it it is we're we're defeating it slowly and the prediction from OPEC is that we will need oil as well as they're realizing that green technologies are going to be a big part of America and they're scared enough to want to raise their prices a bit because now Joe Biden isn't great friends with the Saudis anymore and that plays mm-hmm. a little into it too so well and one of the things that you have to think about is is it's not about raising it's not about just raising the price so much as it is controlling output right you know when we look at you know what America's you know supposedly stands for you know free market blah 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 it, but we deal with OPEC mm-hmm. the you know the only cartel that we're willing to actually work with right. is because of oil prices Mm -hmm. and and if what it doesn't matter whether you're republican or democrat like the reality is 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 that this this opec relationship that is allowing one group of people to control oil prices it's absolutely crazy and then you get a couple of players who are opec aligned venezuela iran uh russia and they can either, you know, depending on the sanctions that get put in place, like Iran, that will <laughs> fuck with oil prices, Venezuela. Right. And then you got Russia, who for a short while there decided to have an output war with the Saudis. So you saw Russia increase its output, then you saw the Saudis increase theirs. It's just that the Saudis, you know, Saudis slash OPEC have so much oil in their system that they could literally flood the market and leave Russia high and dry right so it's a very it's a it's a complicated question that involves uh internal regulations and our relationships with cartels to to say the least yeah it's not it's not a political thing though it's not like there's a a lever that you know the republicans pull down and democrats pull up when they get in office I mean, the regulation lever is what it is. You know, right. the the Democrats are willing to pull the, the the regulation lever down 
and make it harder to get oil and gas off of federal lands. Okay. Whereas the Republicans will pull that lever up and say, nope, it's game on, let's go. But then they try to do it in, in such weird backwater ways where <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, hey, yeah, no, we're totally leaving office right now, so let's say that it's okay to drill Anwar. Like, that's going to... Yeah. Like, like that's going to not get turned off by the Democrats the moment they get into office. I mean, you, there's and not people, a whole lot of foresight there. Business knows this, right? They're not <clears throat> making long-term plans to do something they know is eventually going to be stopped. Right, and and once again, this is where this is where our talks on you know energy diversification, you mm-hmm. know, is something that people need to really get serious about. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that there are more battery vehicles that are electric vehicles that are being developed. And the more diverse ways we have to produce electricity, the more diverse ways we're going to have to power electrical vehicles. That's going to, you know, relieve that reliance on oil and gas eventually. Not quite yet, but eventually. And I I believe that there's a way to (laughs) drill for oil and gas in ethical ways when we're not depending on it. When it's not the big machine, they can work on smaller towers or uh, other ways to get to the oil. Like Kuwait, like we said last week, Kuwait was taking oil from Iraq. So why couldn't we go on a private land into public land? You know what I mean? Uh, well, you could. It's just uh, there's a lot of regulations on that. And unless you've worked in the field, you really don't understand that. Like there are some serious issues regarding drilling, uh, like horizontal drilling is what it's called. Right, right. So, so typically, you know, just to kind of understand a little bit about how we've drilled for oil in the past, it's like you go straight down, oil comes up, bingo. Right. Well, the problem is, is, is that you end up putting up a bunch of wells that end up sucking a bunch of area around and that doesn't necessarily meet make for an effective way to drill for oil right uh, enter horizontal drilling you drill one shaft down and then you start going out in different directions around that shaft and so then you're able to pull oil into one particular area and be able to pull that up so you're drilling fewer holes on top but you're making them more productive yeah yeah and so there's so there's that element, but you still have, you know, it's still a plane. It's like you can go so far before you're into somebody else's land. And if you start yeah. pulling oil off of somebody else's land, you can actually find yourself in a world of hurt. Because let's say that, you know, you're on one section of land and you've got the mineral rights and you can drill in every direction and you're fine. But until you hit a certain point... If you can prove that someone has drilled into somebody else's land and they own the mineral rights to that land, you know, then you have these mineral rights competing claims. And those get pretty ugly at times. Now, a lot of the times, you know, you'll get someone who will say, yeah, you know, we'll figure out what you're producing because of that horizontal shaft and that's what you'll pay me and et cetera, et cetera. Because for some of them, there's that benefit. They're getting their mineral light, their mineral right paid for without having the well sitting yeah. on top of their land. <laughs> right. So I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential and possibility in all of this, but <clears throat> it's still a very complicated and complex mechanism. Of course, and I am all in favor of keeping our public lands beautiful. So I mm-hmm. I'm I'm not in favor of drilling on them. So that that's me personally. I think we we have plenty of other options before we attack the most beautiful parts of, of 
the country. I and, and and that's the other thing too is is that I, I I feel that especially when it comes to public lands that dotting them with oil and gas you know isn't very conservationist right. of of the party that founded conservation so <laughs> right. right uh you know that's that's kind of one of those things where fundamentally I have you know this conflicting problem with it I I personally am for energy independence but I am also pro conservation you know making sure that we have these beautiful public lands that people can go and experience still. Um, Me too. They are, they are really, you know, in a way, sacred places for us to enjoy nature. And yeah. we don't want to lose that. That's right. And I want to say just on a side note is that we talked about this on the Denton County Collective and the rainforest like Anwar, right? And the Brazilian rainforest, they put out a lot of oxygen, but our oceans put up to the, exactly the same amount to 80% more. Mm -hmm. So we really should think about cleaning up our oceans, you know, if we're going to be attacking our lands. We can't just kill both, uh, as a side note. So, yeah. And that's the thing about, like, cleaning up the oceans is, is that we're, <clears throat> we're seeing more and better methods of being able to do that. Yeah. Solar-powered completely autonomous ways of cleaning it up uh, you really you have two issues at hand is is that number one you know a lot of the a lot of the heating that you have going on is because you've got you know these great garbage patches that are essentially just collecting right. uh, heat energy but at the other sense in the other sense too is is that you do have these underwater ecosystems plants animals that are you know that are maintaining a healthy oxygen level output and if you kill the if you kill the algae and, and all the other things that are producing oxygen you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt right. quite literally it is within our best interest to clean up the oceans as much as we can that said we have to in order to clean up the oceans it's a two-part issue there's the actual physical cleaning up the ocean but then there's the how do you change consumer methodologies so that way you're reducing actual waste that's ending up in the ocean. Right. You know, because the reality is is that with when it comes to the plastics, we were sold a great lie that some of these things are going to be multi-use and, mm -hmm. and reusable and this, that, and the other. And, well clearly we're finding out that these things were number one single use and number two they're they're ending up in the ocean yeah so yeah. we have to fundamentally change the way that we're consuming things and sometimes you know you you need to look to the past in order to figure out how do you change that it's it's not that we shouldn't be using plastics but mm -hmm. they definitely need to be designed to be more than single use like for example the biggest you know some of the biggest issues that we had is it's like well you know think about why we stopped using glass bottles you know for anything and everything all the issue was is that it's you know glasses glasses breakable yes but mm -hmm. transporting it safely was just as difficult so yeah. you could easily make reusable plastics that safely transport your goods in glass bottles and then go back and you know be able to take your your glasses back to a grocery store or a recycle center 
and drop that off so that way it could be washed and reused again. Like our grandparents' generation was reducing, reusing, and recycling before it was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, so you know that brings me up to uh, I'm gonna go and this is gonna be called a segue because what mm-hmm. I think is even more important is being able to drink our tap water, Jeffrey. Like, Ooh, yes. why are we even putting water in bottles anyway? This water, the Hershey water, comes from Nestle. Nestle. Yeah, Nestle. You know, it's the same water that I drink here. And so that brings me to infrastructure, which is mm-hmm. a new idea going around that could be anywhere from $500 billion to $4 trillion, says Joe Manchin. And so right. <laughs> uh, we're just going to throw money at problems these days. And so I'm wondering what problems need to be solved. And what I've heard over the past year before thinking about infrastructure besides roads and bridges and airports is our sewers are our water systems because they're outdated and they're mm-hmm. gr- they're gross jeffrey <laughs> as someone who used to fix sewer systems Me too. yes i concur um you know when you look at when you look at how uh sewer and water systems could be updated i mean the the delivery of of water is is what it is it's mm-hmm. it's really more about reclamation at this point how do you get it to be reusable again how do yeah. you get it to have a second life again right or i think one of the other big questions that needs to be answered is why are we not desalinating ocean water to turn it into fresh drinking water yeah. for coastal areas that's to me one of the greatest questions is is that we have rerouted so many natural resources to feed major cities Mm -hmm. but we and and then we sit there and complain about the loss of habitat and ecosystems rather than saying hey why don't we put up some desalination plants for uh you know the puget sound area for for oakland and san francisco for la for san diego for Miami for DC. Why are we not desalinating water? I mean, you look at practical applications of it. Israel is literally desalinating all of their agricultural use water. All of their water that they use for agriculture is being is desalinated ocean water. Wow. So aren't they landlocked? Israel? No. Well, I never thought about it. (laughs) No, Israel's not landlocked. Um I figured the Jews got there. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. But right. but so there are practical applications that are currently in use in oh, other yeah. places that, you know, places like L.A. and New York and D.C., Baltimore, Boston, Seattle, Oakland, San Francisco, like we shouldn't be draining inland natural resources right. to feed cities when we could be desalinating the ocean where we're already talking about rising levels of rising ocean levels we could be desalinating that water to be able to put into practical use i am all <clears throat> in favor of that i played a game called uh sim city and mm-hmm. every time i got the chance for desalination plants i put those in but i assumed mm-hmm. they were too expensive or just too much effort for what they are but are they i don't know no the well define effort you know is it is there is there more effort in changing the course of rivers in order to feed reservoirs or is there more effort in 
putting in a plant that desalinates water that pipes into said reservoir. Well, that, yeah, that's my question. <clears throat> does it create? Does the creation of the water expend more energy oh. than it than is useful? Uh, I would cost say effect, cost effective. At this point, you know, you, it's it's. I think in the long run, it would be more cost effective to put in desalinization. Why? Because there's multiple things you can do with desalinated water. I mean, you've got your local, you got your local potable uses, you've got your agricultural uses. Also, the salt that you'll produce off of that, you know, you could potentially refine that into salts that you use for any number of activities. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's more about figuring out what the multi-purpose of it is, sure. versus going through and you know using all these mega projects and ultimately the costs that are being paid for water are being paid by farmers that are unable mm -hmm. to get as much water as they need to produce their crops yeah. because it has to go downstream to the city of LA well, I'm just or thinking, city of San Francisco. I'm thinking if you desalinate the water and it travels through the pipes and you can put turbines in the pipes, you're suddenly generating enough energy to desalinate the water <laughs> like you could or, create something to bo it's boiling water right right that's it, it, essentially all it is it's it's, you're, you're, it's like distilling alcohol it's, but it's, it's water it's it's essentially a distillation process is right. what it is <clears throat> but here's the other thing too is is that the way that israel does it is a way that is going to seem controversial to this country they use nuclear power to mm. power their desalinization plants. They're using old nuclear power plants in order to do this. Sure, sure. Rather than if we were to invest in new, newer, safer nuclear power in order to do this, number one, it would help California's grid out because that's a fucking mess. Yeah. And number two, it would help them out in terms of being able to get the water that they need to preserving farmlands, yeah. preserving natural habitats and resources, and meeting and exceeding water needs. Because we got plenty of ocean water. We really do. Yeah, we In do. fact, we, we, we are constantly talking about the rise, the sea level rise. So this isn't an issue. You know, it's not like, you know, unlike the reservoir where we're talking about the water levels lowering, or with climate change, we're talking about mm. the inability to get enough water into these reservoirs because you're not getting enough rainfall, you're not getting enough snowpack. Right. Whereas your ocean level is rising, if you put desalinization plants up and do it before you find yourself in a world of hurt, guess what? You're going to have enough water for your cities, you're going to have enough water to sustain your agriculture, which California absolutely needs. They are an agricultural juggernaut. New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, they all need, you know, they all need that. But, you know, California, you know, the coasts have the unique ability to make sure that they're going to have those needs met. Right. You know, unlike unlike places that are landlocked, like Arizona, like New Mexico. Mm-hmm. But if but you... Making, if water, you... making water more available makes it cheaper. Making it cheaper is good for any landlocked state you know especially when the power is going to be able to serve more than just the desalinization plants yeah. so you have a more robust power system the water is going to serve more than just city water needs so you're going to help your local agricultural group like this is a win-win-win for a lot of for a lot of people yeah it's just that you have to embrace nuclear power in order to make that happen until and you can make it self-sufficient self-sustainable 
I truly yeah, think until that you I until you can produce enough solar, wind, tidal energy in order to well, make that happen, absolutely. Well, hydro, hydro, you're creating hydro, so you're you're boiling the water. It's going through a system as steam, and then going, so you go from steam power to hydro dam power mm-hmm. in one plant. You just need to harness that in the right. You need to design it in the right way to catch all of that wasted energy. And you it, could you could you run could do the it. plant by itself just by now, perpet- you, perpetual you, motion almost. Oh, you, one would think, but that's not quite the case. You you would still uh, experience a significant loss of energy, but you wouldn't. You would be able to pick up a lot of energy from other places. So, like for example, water flows downhill. If you mm-hmm. put a bunch of simple uh, catch turbines, you could right, catch right. some of that water, uh, some of that energy back. Yeah, but you have to understand the the laws of the uh, the newton's laws of energy conservation you have to understand that you know energy is neither created nor destroyed it just changes mm-hmm. so when you're losing a bunch of uh energy to heat because that's ultimately that that's going to be what your biggest loss is mm-hmm. you're not catching all of that energy back is is going to be a bit more difficult i mean okay. the heat that you the heat that you generate you could use to turn a steam turbine and catch some of that energy back but you're never going to catch 100 percent, and that's the thing because you have different heats you have different frictions and some of that energy ultimately does get lost you can't you you can't unfortunately just make 100 (laughs) percent of your energy you can get closer you know which is why we talk about which is why we talk about efficiency and why Mm -hmm. currently nuclear is the most efficient power generation but go science Exactly. There are multiple ways in order to do this. It's just that in order to make this happen, so that way it benefits the left, it benefits the center, it benefits the right, you have to be open to the idea of nuclear being part of the discussion. It's mm-hmm. going gonna, it's gonna to meet your power needs. It's going to meet your water needs. It's going to meet your agricultural needs. It's going to meet your city needs. It literally is one of those things where there are, are a lot of wins. It's going, it's going to it's going to reduce the effect on habitat. It's going to increase conservation. Like literally there are so many benefits to it, mm-hmm. but you've got so many people that are screaming and crying nuclear bad. <laughs> I think what, what would be interesting would be to take the best, best ideas, put them in the best areas and create um, an energy multitude. So a plant that is using nuclear to run the desalination or water that turns fans that that incorporates multifaceted forms of energy creation and puts it into one plant so the redundancies are they're fail proof right if one two three go down you still have four five and six you know well and that's and that goes back to the whole discussion of energy diversification the more that you diversify your energy sources the better off you are yeah and and the thing is is that we can diversify these energy sources in a lot of ways there's no reason why uh, a nuclear power plant couldn't be further inland and supplying power to a desalinization plant to a place that's more stable there's no yes. reason why you know there's no reason why we couldn't be figuring out these solutions you know f- for the group of people that you know sit there and yell we need to follow the science well the science is there regarding thorium reactors whether or not you want to accept it is a whole nother story so <clears throat> we sit there and we 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 
hear people yell trust women and trust science and well this woman who is a very profound scientist that developed these thorium reactors which are a lot safer than you know the plutonium and uranium reactors that we've grown up with these it, this breeder reactor system is so much safer so much easier to use so much less nuclear waste to deal with modernly designed so that way you have more safety in these plants than you do from the 50s and the 70s of course and if and and on top of that it is carbon is a zero carbon solution <clears throat> so all of these things are rolled into one beautiful package it's just that it's still nuclear and and until people are willing to accept that as part of the transition away from the fossil fuel industry that's what that goes going back to our other question that's why you're going to see oil and gas prices so high is is that until we're allowed to truly diversify our energy structures you're going to be uh held to uh, held hostage to opec and regulation so the green new deal is just making us held hostage to another energy supplier essentially yeah essentially all right let's move on then let's how about do it. Um, how about a fake news update Ooh, fake news update what do we got what do we got i have no idea i just wanted to know i mean the fake news it, it <clears throat> it's like a ball of slime it it mutates it evolves it digresses it regresses <sighs> and so I just thought I would get your quick take on how fake news is going, uh, how to recognize it, you know. Well, all right, let's. I, I think know. I think I love popping these on you, and then you just have uh, to have a, an instant reaction. I noticed that CPAC uh, Republicans are saying that they are for the working man, but yet Joe Biden supports um, union rights. You know, it's so it's all the, the CPAC. What is it? Yeah, and all of that. Yeah. Just, the message of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> like, I don't oh, know where God. it's going. <sighs> you know, let's, I would say, like, in terms of fake news, let's let's really boil it down to what it is. Relevant let's, news? Let's... <laughs> Outrage culture. Outrage culture versus relevant news. Right. Because I want, you, I want you to think about something. When it comes down to fake news, what what is it that you're trying, you know, we've talked about this before. What is the news? What is news actually? It is boring factual accounts of things. Like it's not emotional. It's not, you know, these things that tug at your heartstrings. It's literally just here's the fact, here's what happened. Yeah. Here you go. It is <laughs> literally absolutely boring as hell. Yeah. But we've we've come to expect sensationalized news. Why? Because sensationalized news gets us involved oh my god did you hear what the democrats are trying to do oh my god the republicans this that and the other yeah this whole dr seuss thing i actually had a conversation with a friend about this okay we did have because a talk about this but if you have further information I further information so you think about this <clears throat> you know the six books that dr seuss put out of publication there was no group of protesters sitting outside Dr. Seuss Foundation saying remove <laughs> these books. Right. There was no push by by cancel culture. There Joe, was Joe no Biden, wait, Joe Biden didn't call uh, Dr. No, Seuss and no. say, "Hey, these fish, they offend me. Get rid of them." The foundation took a look at their literature to see if it was still I up know. to date. I know. And they said that there were six books that looking at 
you know the history and the culture in which they were written and uh, illustrated yeah the, they should probably not be uh produced any further they made a business decision now for better or worse there are two things that could have happened <clears throat> there are two things that could have happened one of them did dr <laughs> seuss could have just quietly the dr seuss foundation could have just quietly taken them out of publication not said mm. a word not posted a thing and nobody would be the wiser for it that's right or you, they do what they did and they post on social media hey there are six books we've determined that they kind of have some you know racist caricatures and shouldn't be left in publication right because they out wanted the, the publicity for not being racist right so that's and of course what does that do you got a bunch of people going yay dr seuss is trying to fix their racist past and then oh my god cancel culture and blah blah, blah. oh my god it's so the reality is, is, is that <laughs> sorry it's so stupid is this is really stupid company is like they're making a business decision to try and do right by you know an educational standard that they've upheld for a long time which is that you know they want to get kids involved in reading it's mm. weird it's wacky it's fun and it shouldn't be racist you know and and the question uh, the question was asked well why is it not okay now and the answer is well it wasn't okay to begin with it's just that it was more tolerated thank you that's a great response to a question I have later. Like these, these, these images were never okay. That's the problem. But they were. It's just that they were tolerated. They were tolerated. You know, some people, you know, some people knew exactly what it was and they snickered. People like me who grew up with one of those books, well, I was a kid. I never knew. Right. So, but, and but then, there was a kid, a, a Chinese kid, that saw that fish and and felt the pain. Right, and that's the and that's the thing is is that it was never okay. It was just tolerated. And right. so now that you have a lens of visibility into some of this stuff, you have more information out there. People and businesses are making new decisions on what their product is and what it should look like. And the Dr. Seuss Foundation made the decision that these six books should come off the line. Yep. End of story. This is where it literally should end. But what people don't understand about outrage culture is, is outrage culture isn't a Republican thing. It isn't a Democrat thing. It is a thing. selling ad revenue thing. And it's a selling political donation thing. Right. One of my friends brought this up to me about and was asking me, well, don't you think this is terrible? And I said, okay, you got a couple of kids of your own, right? Yeah. How, you know, they're, they're at the age of reading, you know, being read to at night. Uh-huh. So do you have any of these books? No. When was the last time you read these books? Well, I don't think I read any of those. Okay, so why are you upset about this? You know, think about that. Like, if you have not interacted with these books, it's it's not that they're get, being gathered up and burnt. They literally just said, we're not going to make any more of them. Hmm. That happens all the time with any variety of books. So if, where a, they tree, just if say, a tree falls in the woods. Yeah, it's this isn't, you know, the great book-burning holocaust. Okay. This is a... Yeah, the copies that are out there exist. 
we're just not going to be making any more. Right, that, which just increases the values of the books that do exist. Correct. To me, so, like, Rembrandt isn't still making pictures, right? right exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, nobody's mad that Rembrandt isn't being made anymore. Right. So, so you have this issue of these, these books are not going to be made anymore. Okay, cool, whatever. A business decision was made. Some people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, people know the difference between, you know, coercion and blah, blah. It's like, oh, shut up. If you think the average person knows the difference between coercion and making a business decision, you're absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. Because the average person doesn't understand the difference between coercion and a business decision. They don't understand the difference between, hey, if I make this decision, I'm going to keep my profitability. But if I don't make this decision, this could impact my business. That's not coercion. Mm -hmm. That's that's literally the definition of doing business. Remember, it re reminds me of putting calories on all the menus mm -hmm. at all the restaurants and how people were so against that. It's going to eliminate our business. People are going to know the calorie amounts, and that's not fair. We can't hold to a consistency. Blah, but they, blah, but blah, they blah, did, blah. right? And then I think about the Twinkie. And I love Twinkies, but then somebody said, we're not making Twinkies anymore. And somebody else said, give me the recipe. We will make Twinkies then. <laughs> you know? Right. And it's the, I always think that's just the way life is. Like, and so that's, what? But, but when you look at why this is such a big deal, like, this wasn't a huge deal. This wasn't like some, you know antifa fun gathering situation in order <laughs> right. to get the and this wasn't some you know unite the right to produce racist content right, it was right. but what happened is, is is that people got outraged and people started posting all of these news articles all these news articles have ads and when you get enough people outraged they're going to go looking for that content and when they go looking for that content that sells ad revenue so outrage sells ads. Now get in politicians. You got people like Ted Cruz who are like, the left is trying to cancel Dr. Seuss. You need to donate to my pack. So that That's way, right. uh -huh. so there's the answer right there. You want money. You, want, you money. want money. You don't give a shit about the books. You want money. Yep. End of story. So take a, stop and take a look for just a little bit. Is this actually an issue? Is there really something there? Or is somebody trying to sell eyeballs to ad revenue, yeah. to political donations? Because I guarantee you the moment you start looking at it as to what are you trying to sell me? That's right. You're going to realize the left and the right are just trying to sell ads. They're trying to sell political donations to yeah. keep themselves in power. They want to control that one ring. That one ring, and I think and that, that one ring is your outrage and your money, your wallet, and I mm -hmm. think so. That's why you need to promise to not give money because you always know what somebody wants once you, they you figure it out, right? Hey, you exactly. Do you want money? I want money, and you know, right? But they're trying to trick you into it, and so that, like Donald Trump is saying, don't donate to the RNC anymore. Donate straight to me, and I will dole it out to the right Republicans. And that was a whole separate topic, but that's called a segue. <laughs> and so right. if you take your money out of the scenario, and I, I vow not to donate any money to a candidate, but if I feel 
Like, I really believe in that candidate. I will devote my time, my platform, my energy to it, but not my money. And you'll see how much they want your money and not your time and not your energy and not your platform. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If it, if, if it was really about anything else, if it was about dealing with cancel culture, if it was about dealing with racism, if it was about anything else, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be seeing the push for political donations That's to right. get your eyes on their sites to sell ad revenue. That's all it is. The, rea- the, the idea that either side of them really cared about whether or not these cartoons and characters were racist mm-hmm. is absolutely bullshit because they were all fine with it until somebody got pissed but then they knew they could capitalize on that outrage and sell donations and sell ads that's right it was never about doing the right thing it was about doing the the money thing getting and that and the moment that you realize that that's when you start to go wait a minute both of these parties are bullshit they they are bullshit they create the rules they create the rules of antitrust for themselves and they eliminate antitrust from everything they do in creating the the rules that govern the body that governs us and and they know the pinpoints to generate your outrage that makes you open your wallet mm-hmm. or that makes you click on all of these different browse you know all these different news sites uh, that make you donate to all these different packs it's not about actually doing the right thing like and and that's the problem i can't i can't remember who said it but somebody said lyndon johnson i think said if you can get the white person to believe that the brown person is scarier you can pick their pockets all day long and the the republicans have been working on that scam for 50 years now you know exactly and the democrats are just anti-republican yeah the way they're like we we can fix it we can solve it we can solve it but i want to say that like donald trump ran up the deficit seven million dollars and seven trillion dollars in four years democrats i want to see what they do with the seven trillion and then you the listener the american can say which one was better (laughs) you know right so in the end keep pay attention money. keep your money and also keep your time like don't dedicate yourself to finding these these news articles between god knows how many different sites right. and and that's the thing is is that it doesn't matter whether you're looking at fox news or oan or whatever else newsmax or all of these weird you know dedicated to the conservative truth.org websites or we believe in the liberal agenda.org websites it's all bullshit it is all about selling ads nobody actually gives a shit as much as they claim that they do about doing the right thing they give a shit about your money they give a shit about your eyes making them money yeah somewhere we confused the dollar with a vote and i noticed Mm -hmm. it during amy mcgrath because she didn't walk with Black Lives Matter protests, but she was very happy every week to put up a little thing saying, I'm going to lose unless you give me your money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not right. Like, I'll give you, ask for my vote. Why are you asking mm-hmm. for my money and not my vote, Amy McGrath? <laughs> and you lost. And I saw some validity in what I was thinking. And mm-hmm. that's what I believe. Is there? Do you think there's any 
politicians that you kind of respect at this point? From the right, I actually respect Adam Kinzinger in Illinois. Um, He is what I would consider uh, an actual Republican to be um, in that he he knows what's bullshit, but he still toes party lines when it is convenient. So, for example, of course, he voted against, you know, the stimulus and and uh, the rescue package, because as a Republican, he sees it as a as, as a fiscal burden. I can I can respect that. But it's one of those things where conservatives and 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 their comfort in spending is is rather a unique it's a unique laughing point because let's remember how much they spent on stimulus packages last year and now suddenly it's about fiscal responsibility so let's think about that but in terms of like him bowing to the 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 trump republican side of things he's like yeah no that's not happening yeah it's like i'm still i'm a financial conservative but but my my real question is you can see the writing on the wall you can count votes you know this bill is going to pass you can either be a part of it or the person that just simply opposed it i don't know why at the when it's coming when it's going to vote it's going to pass you don't just vote for it to say i voted for it because it helps it's not what i wanted but it helps you more than my idea would have you know? Well, I think I think what you have to look at here is is that it's the the idea that if you know it's going to pass, you should just vote for it, is is really is really not a good way to look at things. Not because on everything, when, but on a bill called but, but, Save America. You know? Okay, well the Republicans have plenty of bills called Save America. Yeah. And and when they had control of the House and the Senate, why didn't Democrats vote on it? Because they knew it was going to pass. And that 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 line in the there, that, there was that, Democrats that voted for Republican stimulus. There there had to have been. Well, well, I mean, in this realm, in in this realm, yes. But when it was Republicans in control of the House and the Senate and the mm-hmm. the presidency, and they were redoing the tax structures, you know, you knew it was going to pass. So why didn't you vote for it? To those who would tear the world down. Defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. Five poor little children. Yes, we can. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can 
Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.